0: The CNBC app. Global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected. Stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. This is Scorebox. The headlines over 70 people are killed and thousands injured in a massive explosion that rocks the Lebanese capital, Beirut. President Trump has suggested the blast could have been intentional. Our prayers go out to all the victims and their families. The United States stands ready to assist Lebanon. We have a very good relationship with the people of Lebanon and we will be there to help. It looks like a terrible attack. Service sector growth in China cools in July from a decade high as fresh lockdowns threaten to derail the post-pandemic recovery. Disney shares rally despite a dire set of earnings as investors hope a new approach to streaming could offset the pain for its theme parks, which saw revenue sink 85% on the year. Virgin Atlantic has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy to protect the airline from its creditors while it battles to secure a rescue plan as the carrier sees passenger numbers plunge. Uh, so welcome back, everybody. Commerce Bank, of course, has been in the news the last few days. We talked about the activism of Cerberus. But what about the results? We're just starting to see Commerce Bank numbers trickle through. Let's get out to Anetta, who's got more detail. How do they look, Anetta?
1: Well, actually, at first glance, they look a little bit better than expected. They are having a net profit of €220 million, euro, which uh, was more than uh, analysts had expected. Operating results, €205 million. Revenues, €2.3 billion. Euros. So that's all a bit better than expected. They're, they're saying they're generating a profit for this co- quarter in spite of corona. Costs and capital on track. Uh, talking about the cost. The operating costs uh, did fall once again, um, and the common equity tier one ratio increased to 13.4 percent without the usage of regulatory transition transitional rules. So, meaning they haven't used the capital buffer um, on the assumption that there will be no second le- lockdown. Um, economic activities gradually recover, and government support programs prove to be effective, the bank expect largely stable customer revenues for private and small business customer segment over the course of the year. So all in all, in all the numbers look Um, a little bit better than expected. Perhaps um, some would argue they are in line with what people had expected. But the big question today is um, what we are going to hear about their strategy. Whether we are going to hear anything about their strategy, that's probably not very likely because the bank doesn't really have a CEO. Um, As we know, the CEO and the um, previous chairman left kind of surprisingly Early July, and now the bank just got a new chairman, Hans Jörg Fetter, which was elected despite the criticism and opposition of the uh, second biggest shareholder, Cerberus. Who is now saying, of course, we are going to work together with him. But still, it shows that there is a big rift inside uh, the company, and that there is perhaps not a bit of a, a big uh, uh, agreement about the new strategy, whatever it might look like. What we know that McKinsey is inside the house; they're working on one. Um, Whether the new CEO will then enact all these. Uh, Yeah, proposals or not remains to be seen. And the new CEO now needs to be found quite quickly. That's the the role um, the new chairman has, whether it's a woman or a man, we don't know. Uh, We're going to speak, or I'm going to speak, um, to be precise, a bit later, first on CNBC with the CFO, Ms. Orlop, uh, here on CNBC. And she's one of those names who are circulating as well to be perhaps... Uh, in the running to be the new CEO. So the bank is in full restructuring mode as all of these years ever since the financial crisis, and the new strategy needs to be found. With that, back to you. All
0: right, terrific, Annette. We look forward to your conversation with the CFO. Let's have a quick look at the Allianz numbers here. Uh, The group giving us a revenue decline on the second quarter of 6.8% to €30.9 billion, with an operating profit for the second quarter of €2.6 billion. Net income attributable to shareholders down 28.6% to one point five billion euros that though does look in line with the analysts expectation that i have in front of me here the group says due to continuing uncertainties we currently do not give an operating profit outlook for full year 2020 the uh, solvency 2 capitalization ratio of 187% Uh, is just a little better, I think, than uh, the market was anticipating, given the guidance Allianz were giving us and the suspicion that we might fall below their own floor of 180%. So we are just above that. In terms of uh, combined ratios, an important metric for the insurance companies that tells you uh, whether they're writing profitable business. In terms of the property casualty combined ratio, it rose by 1.2 percentage points to 95.5% in the second quarter of 2020. Anything that is below 100 is profitable business. Uh, so uh, just to round it up, they say we are confident that we will see a solid financial performance in the second half of 2020, but thin on detailed guidance. We're going to spend a bit of time uh, talking about the business. Uh, joining us, uh, Julio Terzioro. Uh He is the uh, CFO of uh, Allianz. That, that'll be a 7.30 first on CNBC interview. Um, I tell you what, why don't we just have a quick look at the market wall here. It might be useful just to give give you a good sense of, of how the market's closed up the business day. And when you look at the NASDAQ here, we pushed on to another high. The Dow Jones, though, putting in a very strong performance, up 164 points. But there's quite a lot I want to talk to you about here, because you have to make some decisions, it seems to me increasingly, about this conundrum that is... Inflation. And I want to just pop up the gold chart. If um, the director, Adam, could just help me out here, we'll just have a look at gold for a moment because the important message from gold is that we managed to push on and take out a new high. Not an inflation adjusted high because if you go back and you look at the books, we have been in this kind of territory before with an inflation adjustment. But on the raw number, we are, as you can see here, pushing up to a new high. And if you have a look at CNBC Pro, which Adam, the director, tells me is a fantastic resource for anybody who wants to trade the markets on their own behalf, David Einhorn is in there, an interesting write-up about the market letter that they've put out over at Greenlight Capital, where he is talking about how to find yourself some inflation-related trades. And I heard some chatter yesterday about how food and uh, farmer prices in the United States have seen something of a jump here. So I feel for you, if you are having to pay those higher prices in the United States, the way that his hedge fund, David Einhorn's hedge fund, is looking to get some form of advantage on the back of any rising inflation is buying mining companies and uh, they've taken a stake in a canadian mining company called tech resources according to cnbc pro but there's a conundrum isn't there because while spot gold is pushing forward and the argument may be um, that people are preparing for inflation and they are trying to buy resources and basic materials and precious metals when you look at the treasury curve it flatters to deceive. And the problem here is that we continue to see yields decline on the Treasury curve here. And some of that is to do with the commentary. Um, Did you see the San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly? Uh, She was talking about how the US is going to need financial support. The economy is going to need a a bridge, some help for even longer. Um, And let's face it, we are racking up Uh, a lot of money to do this. Um, Monetary authorities in the United States, if we sort of bundle together the Treasury and the Federal Reserve, as I heard yesterday, that they've effectively uh, now produced something like four years tax revenues over the space of five months. So it gives you a good sense of just the size of the support that is being directed at the US economy. Why isn't it turning up if we're worried about inflation why isn't it turning up in higher yields here and this is part of the reason why as well gold is pushing forward because if you can get nothing on your treasuries why wouldn't you be more attracted to gold the precious metal where at least if you don't get a yield you are getting a capital return what about Asia? Um, Surely we should see uh, Asian markets um, on the front foot in positive territory but in fact it's a bit of a mixed picture after that strong close in the United States. We continue to focus on the spike in cases in Australia and it already feels like the RBA decision was ancient history, doesn't it? We uh, also didn't have some uh, great data out on the services, PMIs from China, but it seems that the uh, Chinese markets at the moment don't seem to care. I wonder if if that is because we have... Uh, confirmation that there will be a virtual meeting between US and Chinese authorities on August the 15th to talk about implementation of the trade deal. You remember the trade deal? That was what the big focus used to be before COVID turned up and disrupted the way we have to think about markets at the moment. So there you go. That's a quick wrap up of the uh, uh, current market session and where we are in Asia with the Nikkei 225 off about three-tenths, four-tenths of one percent right now. Let's refocus on the headline stories. Devastation in Beirut has many killed, almost 80 killed after that massive explosion that rocked the Lebanese capital. We'll bring you more details on this developing story in just a moment. Welcome back. A massive explosion in Beirut's port has killed many people, uh, almost 80 at the latest count. It injured thousands, devastating large parts of Lebanon's capital. Government officials say the explosions came from a warehouse that was storing highly explosive material. No details given on the cause of the blaze that detonated the material, however. Let's get out to uh, Hadley, who joins us with more on this. Hadley, of course, we are incredibly sensitive to terrorist acts in that part of the world. And we know that Lebanon itself has some very difficult domestic issues at this time. Is there any evidence, though, for President Trump's apparent conclusion that this may have been a deliberate act?
2: Hey, good morning, Jeff. Um, As you say, it's nothing short of a devastating attack uh, for Lebanon, for the Lebanese people, and frankly, for an economy that, as you very well know, is already suffering its deepest economic crisis since the country's civil war 30 years ago. Um, In terms of what the US president had to say in the last 24 hours, there's been no evidence that we've seen, at least so far, and none from, frankly, the Lebanese government to suggest that this was the result of an attack, but we are waiting, watching, and listening. I have to tell you, to many of my sources, not just in the region, but in Washington as well, so we'll definitely keep you updated on exactly what was behind these explosions. One of course of the arguments at this point is that this was the result of some kind of criminal negligence on the part of the Lebanese governor and government itself. Listen to what the prime minister had to say.
0: What happened today will not pass without accountability. Those responsible will pay the price for this disaster. This is a promise for the martyrs and the injured. This is a national commitment There will be facts announced regarding this dangerous depot that exists since 2014.
2: Just to give you a sense of the devastation and what it could mean a bit more long-term for the Lebanese people and, frankly, the broader region, when you think about um, where the location of these explosions took place, this is the main port area. This is a country that imports about 80% of its food. They were already having trouble importing food in a time of coronavirus and at a time when their currency has devalued over 80%. We're talking about 9,500 to 10,000 Lebanese pounds to the U.S. dollar on the black market over the last several months. Lots of questions about how they were going to make ends meet already. Now we've got a blast that has literally devastated the downtown area of Beirut, Um, the port area, all of the shopping centers along that area that had been rebuilt after uh, the Lebanese civil war by Fafiq Hariri. I was supposed to actually be on the ground in Beirut yesterday interviewing exclusively with the central bank governor. We put that off because they'd had a two-week lockdown implemented um, over COVID-19 fears. We were going to go there in a couple of weeks after hopefully they'd passed uh, that spike in COVID-19 cases. That was uh, basically making a situation where Lebanese hospitals had already been overwhelmed by patients and then The devastation that we saw and the thousands of injuries that we saw um, making a run on the hospitals, frankly, uh, inevitable all the way through the night. And according to folks that I've heard from uh, on the ground, um, the house that I used to live in or the apartment building that I used to live in, which was as much as five kilometers away from the center of the explosions, um, the glass all along the front of that building, um, it was a high rise building, was shattered um, from the top to the bottom. Um, And that was a scene that's very much like a lot of the pictures that we're already seeing coming out of Lebanon. So when you think about how tough it's going to be to rebuild this country amidst economic crisis, I mean, where are they going to get the glass for starters? I mean, lots of questions about how this is going to all play out. In terms of who's already offering support, we've seen support uh, offered from the French, the United States as well, some Gulf countries, the Qataris, Iran, as well as Israel offering um, not just medical aid, but also humanitarian aid as well more broadly. But as you say, lots of questions about what actually initiated these explosions? Listen in to what the U.S. president had
0: to say. Our prayers go out to all the victims and their families. The United States stands ready to assist Lebanon. We have a very good relationship with the people
1: of Lebanon, and we will be there to help. It looks like a terrible attack
2: Now, again, as yet, no evidence, uh, strictly speaking, to support what the president seems to have claimed there, that this was actually uh, the result of an attack. But certainly when we're talking about such a massive explosion and such serious, serious damage, there's no doubt about it going to be a lot of implications for the region as a result of what's happened in the last 24 hours
0: in Beirut, guys. Thank you so much, Hadley, for that. And we'll uh, keep in touch with you. And obviously, we'll uh, update our audience on any developments on this uh, developing story. Let's switch back to some of the earnings. Uh, Deutsche Post has given us second quarter numbers. uh, Operating profit up uh, 18.6% here at 912 million. The revenue line up 3.1% at 16 billion euro, with a net at 525 million euro. The earnings per share number in at 43 euro cents. Uh, Let's get to uh, Melanie Kreese, the CFO of Deutsche Post. Melanie, good to have you with us. Thank you for giving us your time here. Look, I imagine we've seen a a good uptick in um, parcel shipments as a result of the pandemic. What is your expectation around some of these trends that we've seen through the second quarter? Will they continue into Q3 and full year 2020?
3: Yeah, good morning. And uh, that's, of course, a a very uh, relevant uh, question. Uh, We saw a very interesting dynamic uh, in the course of uh, the second quarter. Obviously, the strong growth driver for us has indeed been e-commerce. We still see much stronger growth uh, in our e-commerce businesses uh, than what we had uh, prior to the pandemic. Looking at our express network, looking at our parcel network here in Germany, at our e-commerce solutions uh, uh, division, Uh, it is too early to tell whether this is going to be Uh, a sustainable acceleration uh, of the e-commerce trend. There are, of course, some good arguments for that. People have newly discovered shopping on the Internet, particularly parts of the population who didn't shop online before. Um, uh, Also on the supply side, smaller shops have now discovered um, how useful a complementary online offering can be. So I think there are some good arguments uh, for a more structural acceleration of the e-commerce trend. But in terms of hard facts, it's simply too early uh, to really Uh, say that for sure.
0: All right. Um, What kind of clarity then do you have around the freight forwarding division? Because obviously we've we've watched the airline industry with close interest uh, and we've seen some uh, shift from belly uh, haulage through to in-plane haulage. In terms of volumes though and overall ease of operation, could you just Add some colour for us. How are things in freight forwarding? <laughs>
3: Yeah, another really uh, good uh, question, and I think forwarding is even more difficult uh, to predict uh, than what we are seeing on the e-commerce side. In e-commerce, it's clearly a structural growth trend. The question is, how strong is that growth uh, trend going to be? What we have seen in uh, air freight uh, in the second quarter has been a hugely distorted market. Uh, Volumes from the demand side were clearly still down uh, in the double digits. Um, That is what you're also seeing in our volume developments. But the name of the game was the capacity shortage uh, induced by the grounding of the passenger aircraft, which overnight took roughly 50% of the available capacity out of the market. Uh, We have been able with our Global Forwarding Division to secure capacity early on for our customers, um, and that has been the basis for our successful second quarter um, uh, on the air freight side. The big question for the second half of the year is now, how quickly will demand come back and what is happening on the supply side? I think the anticipation is uh, that it will take some time for regular flying to resume, uh, particularly intercontinental. So there will be a continued shortage on the capacity side. I think that's for clear. Um, the important question is how quickly will fundamental demand come back uh, over the next months.
0: Okay. well, obviously, there's a lot of opacity here. Let let me ask you, I mean, both those divisions, though, actually showed an uplift in revenue where there's been some decline um, that's notable. I think it's been in the supply chain story. Can you tell us a little bit about DHL supply chain and why you've seen a revenue decline?
3: Yeah, that's uh, absolutely correct. When you look at our five operating divisions, four of our five divisions are network businesses. And we saw both revenue growth and EBIT growth in those network businesses. The one division where we saw a decline in both revenue and EBIT, but we kept a profitable positive number for the second quarter, was our supply chain division. What makes the nature of the supply chain business different from the network businesses is that we have dedicated sites for customers. And of course, if you have, for example, an automotive customer and the factory is closed, that also has an immediate impact on our uh, supply chain warehouses. We tried to redeploy our people to other parts of the operation where there was activity, but that didn't always work. And of course, if the customer um, is shutting down um, uh, its operations, that also has an impact uh, on our revenue. And that is why our supply chain division was the most affected in the second quarter, both with regard to revenue and EBIT.
0: What is the uh, situation with, with jobs at the moment, specifically in that business? I know, as you gave a, a midterm update earlier in July, there was some talk from Unite, the union here in the UK, around concerns for over 2,000 jobs at your supply chain business here in the UK. Can you give us some clarity on your employment trends, particularly with this unit?
3: Yeah, so overall, when you look at the company globally, um, we have seen a positive uh, development uh, uh, in jobs, and it has been our clear focus throughout the pandemic to first of all look after our people. and We are really doing whatever we can to keep our people employed. Um, you will probably also have seen uh, that we decided in early July to pay a, f- a bonus uh, to our people, 300 euro um, per um, uh, uh, full-time uh, employee across the world. What we try to do is when we have a site, for example, in supply chain, where due to the customer business um, uh, being temporarily shut down, we try to redeploy the people. In parts, that's easier. In parts, that's more challenging. So, for example, here in Germany, we were able to supply uh, to um, uh, put uh, lots of supply chain colleagues into work in our parcel operations. The problem is when you have a dedicated site um, and there's not much other activity around it. In those circumstances, we first of all try to work with the customer. If the customer goes through a restructuring, we of course have to work with the customer to see how we can then adapt things on our sides. And then we look for opportunities uh, to redeploy our people. Is that always possible? No. Um, But overall, we have had a quite good track record in finding new opportunities for our people.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
3: Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.